0: welcome to respect life radio my name is deacon jeff bennett with catholic charities of the archdiocese of denver and remember you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com today our very special guest is father vincent lampert father lampert was ordained a priest in the archdiocese of indianapolis in 1991 he currently serves as the pastor of saint michael and saint peter parishes in brookville indiana and in 2005 he was appointed the exorcist of the Archdiocese of Indianapolis, and you received your training in Rome, and you're a member of the International Association of Exorcists. Is that right, Father?
1: That is correct, yes.
0: Well, good. I'm able to copy things off the internet with the best of them, then. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, I've heard you, and for those who want to find out more, Father has done a lot of these talks on YouTube, but just type in his name. But you weren't actually uh, lobbying for the position of exorcist, were you?
1: I was not. So in 2005, the, the exorcist in Indianapolis passed away. And ironically, he was the pastor of the parish where I attended grade school. But the Archdiocese of Indianapolis has always had a stably appointed exorcist. So even when it fell out of practice in many dioceses across the United States, Indianapolis always had one officially appointed, so the Archbishop looked at me one day and said, you're going on sabbatical, aren't you? I said, yes. He goes, you're going to study one more thing when you're in Rome, and uh, he appointed me. So I've been doing the ministry now for the past 15 years. The Archbishop even told me that anybody who would want the job shouldn't have it, and the fact that I wasn't looking for it uh, made me a good candidate.
0: Well, evidently, uh, you know, you've done a great job of really explaining what happens. What was your training like in Rome?
1: Well, the uh, church says the best way to be trained is to apprentice with a more seasoned exorcist. So the priest who trained me uh, actually also trained with uh, Father Gabriel Amor, the former chief exorcist in Rome. And they were trained by a Passionist priest, Father Candido Amentini who's now deceased, but he's on his way to being uh, canonized as saint. He's now servant of God. And Father Candido used to do exorcisms at the Holy Stairs in Rome, just across the street from the Basilica of St. John Lateran. So I worked with him for uh, three months. He allowed me to sit in on 40 exorcisms that he performed when I was there. And then that enabled me to learn firsthand how to minister to those who were approaching the Church to help deal with the demonic activity they were experiencing in their lives.
0: So when you went on, you know, you sat in on 40 of these exorcisms, did you have any expectations? Did you go in just kind of like a blank slate, or did this shock you?
1: (laughs) Well, uh, you know, I didn't know, really know what to expect. I had a lot of these, you know, images from movies like the exorcist and and whatnot, so thinking, what am I getting myself into? But until you really experience the extraordinary demonic activity in somebody's life, you can't even prepare yourself for it. So uh, I kind of went in, kind of knowing a little bit, but discovered I really didn't know anything at all.
0: Well, my guess is you not only learned a lot from that, you've learned a lot from it over the last 15 years plus that you've been doing this. Um, How dangerous is it for people like, you know, the superior general of the Jesuits to say Satan is a symbol, not a person, Uh, you know, to have people in the church say, you know what, it's all right to believe that no one's in hell and that, you know, everybody goes to heaven. Isn't that kind of a dangerous thing to put into people's minds because then they don't really have to worry or even believe maybe the devil exists?
1: Yeah, because everything's reduced to relativism, you can believe whatever you want, and there's no consequences. Comments where people say they don't really believe in the devil, or the devil is a metaphor, go against the official teaching of the Church. So the Church, consistently throughout her history, has always spoken of the fact that evil is not something of our own making, it's not a metaphor, it's not just humanity's inhumane treatment of one another— but it is personified in what we would call the devil and his angels. Even Pope Paul VI, he reiterated that in a series of uh, his Wednesday general audiences back in 1972. And I think when he began speaking about the devil, it did raise a few eyebrows because many people, including many within the Church, believe that somehow the Church had moved away from that belief. But again, the Church has consistently taught, that the devil is, is real.
0: Well, I mean, exorcism is a ministry within the Church. If it was a figment of our imagination, why would they create the ministry, right?
1: Well, you know, any priest that was ordained prior to 1972 was one of the minor orders was the Order of exorcists. Now, it did fall out of practice after 1972, and then it was only reserved to the priest appointed by his bishop, either on a stable basis so a diocese, because technically the exorcist in every diocese is the local bishop. He is the exorcist by virtue of his Episcopal ordination, and then the Church says that at his discretion he may appoint one or more of his priests to do this ministry, either on a case-by-case basis or on a stable basis, meaning this particular priest is the priest in his diocese that people should turn to when they believe they're dealing with extraordinary demonic activity.
0: So has your bishop ever sat in on one of your sessions, or I'm, I'm guessing he prays for you? How, how involved is he with what you're doing?
1: Just to keep me, he just wants to be kept informed. Okay. So I was, when I was appointed, the bishop that appointed me, he's uh, now passed away. He was a uh, member of the Benedictine Order. Uh, Archbishop Daniel Beekline appointed me. And then uh, I was reappointed by now Cardinal Joseph Tobin, who is the Cardinal Archbishop in Newark, and then again by Archbishop Charles Thompson, who's now the current Archbishop of Indianapolis. And all of them said that they trust my judgment, and if I believe that an exorcism needs to be performed, then I should go ahead and do it, but simply keep them informed of what is taking place so that they can offer their own prayers and support. I've never had uh, the bishop sit in on any exorcisms that I performed, okay. but they've told me very clearly that they trust my judgment to do what I believe to be the right thing.
0: Well, you've been doing it long enough. My guess is they, they're, and they're more than happy to let you do it. And uh, you know, if anything happens, let me know kind of thing, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> that was Cardinal Tobin. He told me one time, he goes, here's my cell phone number. If you're going to do an exorcism, call me so I know and I'll and I'll pray for you.
0: Well, that fart's I good. Jokingly
1: said to, I jokingly <laughs> said to him, I said, now, Archbishop, I realize you didn't say you're going to join. He said, remember, I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> and then we both had a good laugh
0: over that. <laughs> that is funny. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in our society today, you know, whether it's riots, anger, hatred. I mean, I've, I've even heard that, you know, People have engaged witches to cast spells on the election. We have the pandemic. Does it, Is there a greater demonic activity going on, or are we just more aware of it? What are your thoughts on that?
1: I think there is greater demonic activity in the world today. And even with saying that, I would go on to say that it isn't that the devil is up his game, in my opinion, but that more people today are willing to play the devil's game because faith is in decline in much of the Western world. Christianity built Western civilization, but many people in the West no longer have a belief in God. You know, many young people, including young Catholics who grew up in traditional Catholic homes, maybe even attended Catholic schools, now say they're atheists, they no longer believe in God, they're spiritual, but they don't need to go to church. So faith in God will lead us in one direction. The lack of faith will lead us in another. And I think because faith is in decline, we are seeing more demonic activity. And certainly the devil is an opportunist. So he may not cause all the problems that we experience, but he will take advantage of it to advance his own agenda. So you look at, you know, COVID-19 pandemic. You know, we can have many discussions on, you know, is this something truly demonic? But I think the devil is using it as the way to harm humanity. You know, when you look at Christ, the greatest thing Jesus did for us was to give us a sense of community to bring us together. But you look at the pandemic and many people now are in isolation and that isolation is leading many people to become discouraged, to be in despair, to be depressed. Many people, including young people, have considered at least taking their own lives at some point over the last several months So the devil can take advantage of any situation to try and advance his kingdom and diminish the kingdom of God. And when it comes to the ministry of exorcism, the goal is to defeat Satan and his demons and to further the kingdom of God.
0: So he really is an opportunist, and unfortunately, when we turn from the faith and and become moral relativists, we kind of open the door what are some of those portals that we can engage in in our lives that open the door for the demons to, you know, to have greater access to us?
1: There are, uh, there, the ways are countless. There are some main ways that I've seen over the last 15 years. Yeah. You mentioned people involved in witchcraft that try to put curses on people. You know, people are surprised to realize just the number of people that are engaged in uh, witchcraft, but it is prevalent in society. Now, I would say that a curse can be an entry point, but curses are only effective if we are weak in our faith. Right, We can't control the ill will that somebody may wish to place upon us, but we can make sure that we're remaining spiritually strong. You know, as Catholics, go to Mass, celebrate the sacraments, pray. You know, these are the things that can help keep us safe you know, kind of quoting St. Paul, we can put on the armor of Christ there in his letter to the Ephesians. That can make us spiritually strong against those who may wish to place a curse upon us. So a curse can be an entry point ties to the occult. You know, it's people dabbling in things that have to do, deal with the paranormal, seeing a psychic, a median, practicing witchcraft, uh, playing with a Ouija board, All of these things can be an entry point, and oftentimes people may even laugh at that and say, well, that's just entertainment. Just because we view it as entertainment doesn't mean that the devil can't use that as an avenue to try to enter into our lives, because, again, his goal would be to to destroy us, to have our lives unravel, whereby we just completely lose all sense of hope and we just give up. Another entry point, I would say, is the entertainment industry. You look at movies today, the devil is very much mainstream now. There's all kinds of programs on television that have to deal with the devil, ghost hunting, you name it. They're out there, literature, certain types of books that portray magic as something good and not something evil. And I would point out to people that all magic is inherently evil. And I don't mean an illusionist that, you know, pulling a rabbit out of your hat. Right. That's an illusionist, but magic in the true sense of the word is all inherently evil. So again, when people get engaged in things that have to do with the entertainment industry, you know, it concerns me that many people today see nothing wrong with all these ghost tours or going to visit these places that are allegedly haunted. Because again, when they're going there, they're trying to engage whatever entities are present there and these evil spirits are again not so much interested in a location but as attaching themselves to us so that again they can destroy us
0: well i mean our lives are really a battle between good and evil right where the lord who wants us to be with him for all eternity and the evil one who wants to keep us from doing that so to to engage in something that's that that looks innocent And really isn't really does put ourselves at risk, doesn't it?
1: It does, you know, you know, the Word of God is very clear. We look at the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament in chapter 18, it spells out very clearly the things that we should not be doing, trying to communicate with the dead, you know. All of these practices that revolve around the occult can be extremely dangerous.
0: What are the different types of demonic activity?
1: So the church identifies four different types of extraordinary demonic activity. So there's infestation, which is the presence of evil in a location or with an object. There can be demonic vexation, which are physical attacks. Some people use the word oppression, but I prefer the word vexation because to me, oppression, even though it involves physical attacks, I believe that demonic oppression is a gift from God. The person didn't do anything wrong to bring on the evil, The God is permitting the devil to afflict them as an opportunity for that person to demonstrate their fidelity to God and as a result to grow in holiness and virtue. Think of Job in the Old Testament, St. Paul who talks about the thorn in the flesh that he received, the messenger from Satan sent to torment him to keep him from becoming proud. We can think of some of the great saints of the church, St. John Vianney, Padre Pio, and nobody would have said that they needed exorcisms, but they were experiencing demonic oppression as a very particular gift from God. So again, we have infestation, vexation, physical attacks, obsession, which are mental attacks, and then possession itself, whereby the devil or some other evil spirit will take control of a person's body, treating that body as if it were its
0: own. Now, possession is is pretty rare, isn't it?
1: It is. The priest that trained me said maybe one out of every 5,000 cases will be a true case of demonic possession. Most of the time, uh, once it's ruled out that the person isn't dealing with some type of a mental health or a physical health issue, it revolves around infestation, vexation, and obsession. But again, true cases of demonic possession, Are extremely rare.
0: Are you seeing uh, an uptick in people contacting you, thinking they may be struggling with one of those uh, demonic activities, uh, or is it the same as it always has been?
1: There's an uptick because some exorcists are publicly known, such as myself. Some prefer to remain anonymous. So those of us who are out in the public forum tend to get more calls. You know, when I was appointed back in '05. I probably got about 200 inquiries every year. Now I get about 1,800 calls and emails a year. And then I try to network with other exorcists here in the United States, being a member of the International Association. It's a group of 800 priests and their helpers from throughout the world, and uh, we get together in Rome every other year with an opportunity for ongoing education. And as a way just to get acquainted with one another, that way we can network. You know, I have people contact me, for example, from the Central African Republic. There's no way I can help that person. But by knowing somebody who's associated with the International Association, then I can try to connect the exorcist in that area with the person who is seeking help.
0: So excluding bishops, how many many exorcists— Ballparkish, do we have in the United States, would you think?
1: The number actually is, would be unknown, just simply because some are not publicly known, but it's my guess there's somewhere around 125. Okay. So when I was appointed in 2005, I became one of about 12 stably appointed exorcists, which is why the number was so few that there wasn't anyone that I could mentor with here in the United States, which is why then my bishop sent me to Rome to learn how to deal with people that were up against the demonics. You know, the interesting thing is that, uh, you know, in the West, we may not readily accept a spiritual cause for what is happening in the life of a person. Other parts of the world, that would be readily acceptable. And that would be true, of, you know, like in Italy, there are 300 exorcists. There are 300 appointed in Poland. I had the opportunity to travel Uh, to South Africa back in 2017, um, just to do some uh, training and speaking on the topic. But in those parts of the world, people would say, we absolutely believe in spiritual realities. So in the United States, I think we're more skeptical. We always think, well, isn't there a pill that people can take and that'll make them better?
0: (laughs) Yeah, better be on your insurance plan because that'd be an expensive pill if it wasn't uh, copay.
1: Yeah, but again, in other parts of the world they're more receptive to the idea. And ultimately, you know, when somebody is suffering, we should be willing to work with them whether that be due to spiritual, mental, or physical causes. So, someone is turned to the church, the church should help them and direct them to the best place where they can get the help, whether that's through somebody in the mental health field, you know, their medical doctor or even the church herself through the ministry of exorcism, because an exorcism, at its very core, is a prayer. Yeah. It's a prayer directed to God, who's asked to bring relief into the life of the person. In extreme cases, it's the command given to a demon, commanding it to depart based on the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. But again, it's all about bringing healing into the life of people who are suffering.
0: In those extreme cases where you've, you know, there is possession and you're doing exorcism, I know it can take sometimes up to a year, I've heard. Uh, what are some of the things you've seen uh, that that there's no doubt this that a demon was present?
1: Well, the Church identifies how to know whether a demon is present, and these are things that I've seen over the years. You know, very four clear things the Church says to look for the ability to speak and understand languages otherwise unknown to the individual, having superhuman strength, having elevated perception, so knowledge about things that the person should not otherwise know, and then a negative reaction to anything of a sacred nature, such as being blessed with holy water, being shown a crucifix, being shown a Bible, having Scripture read in front of the person. You know, other ways to know that the demonic is present. There can be bodily contortions. I've seen the demons once they possess a person, the person's eyes will roll in the back of their head, there's foaming at the mouth, there's growling, snarling, there can be a change in the temperature of the room, it becomes very cold, there's very bad odors that come about. Person couldn't even levitate, crawl up the walls like a spider you name it, but all of these manifestations are meant to instill fear because the actual rite of exorcism will cause the demon to manifest because the demon needs to manifest so that the battle against it can begin. And the demons certainly don't want to depart, so these manifestations are meant to instill fear, whereby the priest or anyone else who's involved in the exorcism will be more focused on the theatrics of the devil rather than on the power of God that is at work in this particular prayer of the Church.
0: So it's it's almost like they tried to distract you from doing what you're supposed to be doing in there.
1: It is. You know, when I you asked me earlier, you know, was it shocking? You know, the first time I saw someone manifest and even witnessed somebody levitate, you know, the demon's like, look what I'm capable of doing with this person's body— I mean, that is shocking, but then the focus, again, is on the devil, where the focus needs to be on God. And I learned right away, because in the exorcism where the person levitated, Mm -hmm. the priest who was training me, when he saw what the demon was doing, he reached over and took his hand and put it on the head of the person and pushed them back down into the chair. He was completely unfazed and did not even hesitate for a moment or pause in the prayers of the church. He remained focused on what he was doing, and he was not going to allow the demon to act like it was in control.
0: Well, that must have been uh, a great example for you, to see somebody act so calmly when something like that happens, because to see it for the first time, I got to think your blood pressure's uh, popping a little bit.
1: It was. He he may have remained calm, but at the time, I, I don't think I was. I think my jaw kind of dropped, and I was like, even said to myself, what in the world has my bishop gotten me into?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I heard one of your—I don't know, but what video I was watching of you, of yours, and you were talking about having gone through a kind of a, a, a trying exorcism, and I think—I don't know if you headed to Dairy Queen for like a chocolate shake or something <laughs> like that.
1: That was an exorcism working with somebody, and it took a year to finally cast out the last of the seven demons— and then somebody asked me, well, what did you do afterwards? You know, did you, like, celebrate Mass? Did you do a holy hour? Did you pray? What did you do? And I said, I went to Dairy Queen for a chocolate shake."
0: <laughs> I hope you got a large. <laughs>
1: <laughs> when I walked in, the place was packed, and I even said to myself if these people knew where I just came from, I would be like Moses parting the Red Sea. These people would get out of my way.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. They, there'd have been people hurting themselves <laughs> trying to get out the door. <laughs> That's one way to get weighted on faster, I guess, huh?
1: And now, That's the thing, you know, you just yeah. never know what you're going to encounter. I was just working with somebody the other day, and, and two demons uh, that manifested in this particular person. The demon Molech, which is mentioned in the Old Testament, right. one that people used to sacrifice their children to, and then Beelzebul. And at one point, the demon Molech is rattling something off, and I say to the the demon, what are you doing? What are you saying? And he looks at me, and he says, I'm giving glory to Beelzebub in my own language. So here's a manifestation taking place where one demon is trying to glorify another demon. So it's it can be a pretty crazy world.
0: Uh, yeah, my guess is just when you think you've seen it all, something else pops up, and you're like, mm, nope, haven't seen that one before. <laughs> yes, that's true. Uh, now, aren't family members, or don't you usually have a family member in there with you while you're while you're doing these?
1: Yeah, when I would never do an exorcism one on one. Well, certainly I'm present. The one who's afflicted, they will bring a family member or a close friend to be with them during the prayer of the church. I would have other people there, another priest could be a deacon, maybe lay people. But anyone else who's there is meant to be. Praying, as I'm doing, the right of the church. No one's there out of a sense of curiosity. I tell people there's no such thing as exorcism tourism. You know, no, go, go,
0: to, go to go to like, the ghost tours you were talking about earlier. If you want to see that, yeah, right?
1: Sometimes people in the media will say, "Well, is it possible that we can come and record?" You know, the church does not allow any of that because she wants to respect the privacy of the person who is afflicted.
0: And rightfully so. So
1: again, and anybody that's present needs to prepare themselves ahead of time. As a priest, I would celebrate Mass, I would go to confession, spend time in prayer, and then everyone else that's going to be present needs also to, you know, go to Mass, receive the sacraments, go to confession. Because when a demon manifests, my experience is the demon will try to determine who is the weakest link in the room, and then they will try to go after that person, either verbally assaulting them, sometimes trying to physically attack them, but again, trying to disrupt the prayer of the Church and instill fear.
0: You wrote a book. How can people get your book, and what's the title of the book?
1: The book is called Exorcism, The Battle Against Satan and His Demons. It's put out by Emmaus World Publishing, it's also available on Amazon.